0: This is APCO Forum, powered by APCO Worldwide, an advisory and advocacy communications firm. Now, here's your host, John Deftarius.
1: Hello, and welcome to APCO Forum. Timely conversations catalyzing progress on global topics. I'm John Deftarius. We're tracking the key emerging topics uh, taking place at the 76th United Nations General Assembly, or the UNGA. It is the meeting point for global leaders to discuss the most pressing issues of our time and also get an update, if you will, on the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. Running in parallel to that, APCO is convening its internal experts and uh, outside guests to hive off some of these issues and take a deeper dive. Today, in the spotlight is furthering women's equality. Let's bring in Judith Arenas. She is the Gender Practice Lead Senior Director and also the Senior Advisor to the Founder and Chairman of APCO Worldwide. Judith, great to have you. I wanted to start on this idea that this should have been the topic of 2020, and we know what happened because of the pandemic. Everything got pushed back. What will bring gender equality, women's equality to the forefront? It's vital, I would imagine, losing that much time.
0: Thank you, John, indeed. At a time when everyone in the international community should actually have been celebrating, commemorating great progress as we mark 25 years of landmark treaties and documents recognising women and girls' equality, on the contrary, we're seeing that this is being rolled back. When the international community convenes in New York, virtually or in person, to discuss and meet at the UN General Assembly, we know that the COVID-19 pandemic recovery is gonna be at the forefront. And we know that it is precisely the COVID-19 pandemic that has disproportionately affected women and girls in a negative manner worldwide. Women and girls are now more likely to face poverty, economic insecurity, gender-based violence, and barriers to accessing health services. So putting them front and center of any discussion and any policy measures to advance and and figure out how the global community is going to recover is going to be critical. But it goes beyond that. As we're seeing how the situation in Afghanistan is unfolding, that is just one of the latest examples of how women and girls are all too often paying the price for peace and security crises. And we've got to be looking at that as well as we watch the political statements take place in the GA Hall. And this is something that I saw firsthand when I worked with the Freedom Tech Squad made up of the original members of the Afghan Girls Robotics team as we helped get them to safety.
2: We are the original members of the Afghan Girls Robotics team who started this path in 2017. And we had the chance to participate at the first global uh, competition for the first time as Afghanistan's representative in this section. Today that we are here, it's not only about us. But we are here to make sure young generation in Afghanistan that we are here, we will raise their voice and we will stand by their side. Our request to international community is is to not leave the young generation of Afghanistan alone. Because we believe that there are many genius people like Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, Marie Curie among of them. Please think about your future and don't let Afghanistan to be the second era of Syria. And the end, my message to the Afghan girls is that make your dreams and be, believe me that one day your dream will come true because you are the owner of the country, you are the owner of Afghanistan, and you are the winner, not the Taliban.
1: That's a fitting message, Judith, from the uh, Freedom Tech Squad. It allows us to. Dive deeper into this issue. Let's bring in our special guest. Irene Kahn is the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Opinion and Expression. Welcome to APCO Forum, Irene. It's nice to have you. We had Judith um, talk about the crisis in Afghanistan. What do you think is the greatest risk to women and girls as a result of the crisis? Can we put some tangible uh, processes in place here to see what the fallout is already?
2: Well, I think from one day to the next... Um, girls no longer are able to go to school. Women are no longer able to work outside the home. In fact, they cannot even go outside the home without a male companion. They must cover themselves from head to toe. Um, So I think it's a very dark moment for women and girls in Afghanistan. Very dangerous too. Violence has gone up. Uh, We hear stories of uh, young girls, single women uh, being forced into marriage. Uh, Women journalists are being hounded, not allowed to work. Um, So it's very, very dangerous.
1: Is this the true face of the Taliban then and how it affects women and girls, Irene? Is this the reality? Because they were trying to convey a very different message uh, after the U.S. uh, exit.
2: Well, this is what life was like under the Taliban regime the last time they came to power. And I remember then, later after that, when I visited Kabul talking to women and they said that they were lashed if there was an inch of their waist, uh, of their wrist visible. If they, if they re- reached out their hand and there was an inch of the wrist uh, skin visible, they were lashed for it. And so many women fear that those dark days are back again. And the Taliban don't appear to have shown sufficient signs of change. As you know, they have an all male administration in place Um, And also ethnically very narrow. Um, And uh, they have said, yes, uh, girls may be may be able to go to elementary school. Some women health workers may be allowed, but it's all extremely tentative. And there is very little sign uh, that the world will be any different for women and girls today, even though they have lived through two decades of relative freedom, any different today than it was in the late 90s.
1: It's almost rolling back the clock, Irene. Let's bring Judith back into the conversation. This is the UN General Assembly that is dealing with COVID-19 and trying to jumpstart the post-COVID-19 pandemic recovery, if you will, Judith. What can we do here to protect women and girls? It falls disproportionately on them when it comes to employment, for sure.
0: For sure. We've seen the the socioeconomic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic has really derailed progress towards gender equality globally. Labour markets have been devastated globally and women have dropped out of the workforce at a greater rate than men. We're talking about 22 percent women are 22% more likely to lose employment in comparison to men. But we're also seeing a really big play on those traditional norms, social norms and roles that women are expected to play. Women are traditionally the caregivers as schools have uh, shut down, as governments have rolled out and implemented lockdowns. We're actually seeing that women have actually taken up almost the equivalent of a full time job in just care responsibilities. Economically, that that means that women have, who are sometimes, and more often than not, paid less than men, um, they tend to have more of those smaller businesses that are also having to be shut down. They really are bearing the economic brunt. And I think Irene can talk about the rights dimension, but from an economic perspective, we really, really need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to address all of the economic problems and make sure that that dimension of care is addressed at a policy level.
1: Yeah, it's a great point you bring up, Judith. But I remember at the start of this crisis, I was uh, commenting on the fact that we just don't have the vaccine distribution as a priority in the developing world. And that's still an issue, is it not, Irene? And falls disproportionately on women at the same time.
2: That's right, and of course, there is another aspect, uh, another way in which women are being negatively impacted, and that is the levels of domestic violence, uh, sexual violence against women and girls have gone up during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, partly because of the lockdown and the pressures that have been put on families. And and that uh, also has to be taken into account, and women cannot leave their home. So you see a lot of women and girls trapped, literally trapped uh, by the pandemic into a very violent situation, into poverty, uh, unable, and and, and a lot of the progress that had been made in recent decades are being set back. And that's why one would need renewed investment, renewed attention uh, to the problems of women and girls.
1: Can you both uh, home in, if you will, on the online and offline abuse? Irene, do you want to start there? Because most pe- uh, people think of it in one bucket, but it's certainly not the case.
2: Yes, indeed. Um, I have just uh, pub- about to publish a report present a report to the UN General Assembly on gender justice and freedom of expression. And one of the issues that I pick up there is the very high level of online violence against women, uh, abuse, misinformation, disinformation, Uh, it affects disproportionately women in public life in particular, women politicians, women journalists, uh, women uh, human rights activists, The tool, digital technology as a tool that is meant to expand our rights and opportunities are actually becoming a very toxic environment, are creating a very toxic environment for women. And many women are stepping back from public life because they cannot take this level of violence and hatred online that is being allowed um, to perpetuate and affect them and their families and their mental uh, state of health.
0: And John, one of the things that we're seeing that is very worrying about the trends of online violence is the chilling effect that is having. On women and young women, young women, girls overall, particularly anyone that wants to aspire to anything in public life. We're hearing journalists tell us that they are self censoring, and you know that how important having access to Twitter and other social media tools is for a journalist. So, overall, this can actually lead to having a negative impact on women participating in public life overall.
1: Irene, is there anything that the UN can do to foster communication so we don't have this? disinformation which is so toxic
2: well you know research has shown that the best medicine for disinformation is actually media freedom where there is enough information flowing independently people can fact check uh, people feel much more comfortable it's about building trust in information sources and in closed societies in repressive societies that's where disinformation misinformation flourishes So what the UN can do is to uphold human rights. Member states need to be open about their own information, public information, share that openly and encourage and foster uh, independent media. Uh, That's for sure. But of course, there are also measures that social media platforms can take uh, to um, uh, address the issue of uh, uh, you know misinformation and disinformation, obviously uh, that's going out to you know attack women journalists, women uh, politicians, and others. So I think uh, control of social media, proper control of social media, in line with human rights, and governments respecting human rights and media freedom—that's the uh, medicine, the antidote, I think, to misinformation and disinformation.
1: Uh, Judith, it's interesting what Irene brings up here. Uh, could we see a case where we bring the private sector, the tech companies into the developing world to support this effort that Irene is talking about because we saw the role uh, that technology companies played, for example, in the U.S. election? Could we see a similar tale here to do this on a global level?
0: absolutely this is uh, this is in fact uh, something that they need to tackle and address globally we we know that some of the social media companies have actually got different standards from what they tend to do or how they tend to monitor and, con- and better manage content around the US elections which even within the US doesn't apply across the board in different languages we know that for instance content in spanish it receives less scrutiny and there are less ways of actually getting support around that. So this is something that requires a global effort, but it needs to be done with full transparency and accountability. All too often, um, a lot of these measures that are put in place by social media companies don't necessarily have the means for for people to challenge them. And you end up seeing, you know, authentic journalists or authentic activists bearing the brunt of this being used as a technique against them.
1: In fact, the foreign minister, Abdullah Shahid of the uh, Maldives, who's the president of the 76th General Assembly, said uh, he wants to strongly support the voice of the youth, the Gen Z generation. What does that mean, Judith, in uh, practice here when it comes to the United Nations and continuing this policy?
0: So I think what it means is that it must be very, in my opinion, it's particularly important to make sure that young women are giving a voice, that, you know, that, that when the UN when governments or when others actually try and address this issue of youth participation, they're doing so taking a gender-balanced perspective and recognizing that very often it is young women themselves who may not necessarily have the rights or the the connections or the access to have their voice heard. So additional steps need to be taken in that regard.
2: Well, I think it's very important to have uh, the voices of young women heard. But I also think young men, you know, we see more and more now boys uh, dropping out of school, getting into trouble, uh, drugs and other other drug gangs and 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 so on. So I think it's very important to have both young men and women uh, getting engaged uh, in the uh, international stage where things matter. In the UN, for example, where most of the leaders are septuagenarians, uh, I think it's about time to uh, really, I mean, the Secretary General wants to call the summit of the future next year. And the summit of the future should be made of by those leaders of the future, the young people. And I hope there will be lots of voices of young people heard loud and clear uh, at the United Nations.
1: You know, this is a uh, General Assembly that was uh, very largely, again, virtual. Does that give us an opportunity to open up uh, to the youth in future General Assemblies, so those voices are heard, and then we have uh, women's rights front and center year in and year out? with the pulse taken from the field, if you will. Irene, and I'd love to have Judith comment as well.
2: Yes, indeed. I think that technology gives us a lot of opportunity for bringing all those voices in. At the same time, we need to be aware of the digital divides that exist, of people, a billion people or so in the world who do not have access uh, to the internet. And we need to close, bridge that gap And bring in as many different voices as possible uh, through digital technology. At the same time, we should be aware of the importance of the face to face uh, communication that is still extremely important people to people.
0: And John, the UN is 76 years old, right? So uh, as Irene has mentioned, the UN Secretary General is really trying to get the UN into the 21st century. And that has to take into account making sure that everyone really has a seat at the table and making sure that not just um, when the UN meets in September in New York or virtually, that these seats are opened up to women, to girls, to young people, but that this happens throughout the process. And the uh, really... Concerted measures are taken to make sure that these voices are heard throughout and that they're taken seriously. I think that's the critical point.
1: Irene Khan, nice to see you again. Judith Arenas, thanks for your expertise on this subject uh, and joining the uh, APCO forum. We hope that this uh, will foster a deeper understanding of the issues at play here. And the the wider goal is to have uh, organizations, of course, become catalysts for progress themselves. You can watch further episodes of APCO Forum, and you can find our programming on the social media channels of APCO Worldwide, and subscribe to the forum on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for watching. I'm John Defterius. We'll see you soon.